So as I mentioned, we are in our second week of Advent. And again, Advent means waiting, um, the arrival, the coming. It's a Latin term. We're not really sure where this term came from. It was probably three, 400 years after Christ. It was the anticipation, really, of Christ's return, second coming. The anticipation was that we are going to Advent or Adventus and wait for the Lord's coming. Um, it may not be a surprise to you, but every generation assumed that their generation was the generation that Jesus would return. And yet here we are. And I know we're still waiting and we're hoping that it's this time. And maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Um, but let us wait well. But also that took on a new term as we are considering waiting for Christmas. We are living in post-Christmas time, uh, meaning that Christ has already been born and, and he did his earthly ministry. And we, I'm thankful that uh, we get to look back at Christ's birth instead of waiting. And yet last week we considered um, what that meant, what Isaiah meant when he called Jesus the Messiah, wonderful counselor. Today is Mighty God, and then we'll do Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And just quickly, just by way of just a quick review, is uh, that word wonderful is Pele, which means too marvelous, too wonderful to be explained, surpassing the extraordinary, separated by distinguished action. But if you really want to get a good word picture of it, it means so wondrous, it's hard. It's so hard you can't put into words. And that's the first description that Isaiah gives uh, to explain the birth of Christ. And then counselor, counselor, um, that meaning is a mighty leader, a great counselor. He can guide because he knows. It's a military term. So this morning we are going to talk about mighty God. And I will be completely honest with you. This week, considering mighty God became very, very weighty. Um, all of my insecurities played out greatly on Monday. How in the world am I going to spend however much time I opened my mouth this morning and explained the, not only how mighty God is, but what does the word mighty mean? And then in, if I, as I was considering, and hopefully you'll feel like I did, that's my goal maybe a little bit. I haven't said this in a while, but essentially... Preaching for me is I'm preaching to myself. I happen to look up every once in a while, and there you are. <laughs> so the weight of the Lord, just this mighty weight, really it begins to grow this great shadow of how small I am. And then at first, there's this insecurity of, oh, I am little, so small, so tiny. And then you, I go through Job and... All these weird things go on. But then there's a sense, at least it hit me on Wednesday, but that's exactly where I need to be. And that's exactly where Christ is. He is mighty. See, to, to consider what's going on during this time that Isaiah wrote this, as mentioned last week, Ahaz. Ahaz is the king at this time. He was the father of Hezekiah, who we mentioned in Hebrews, and, and he is a bad king. And I said last week that he's probably top three. The more I read about him, probably number one bad king of all time. He just 
is dumb. I don't know how else to say it. He's just one mistake after another. And, and I encourage you to read through Isaiah during this Advent season. I meant to say that. I highlighted it this week, so I make sure I say it. It's just encouraging to see what is going on uh, that God still cares despite leadership, despite ourselves. So Ahaz, earlier on in Isaiah 8, Isaiah comes and talks to Ahaz and says, do you want a sign from God? And he says, nope. Well, why would you not want a sign from God? It's because you don't want to have to change. So that's also considering and very heavy as I was considering that and very weighty. But so the, the Assyrians are waiting outside to come and take over. There's this whole deal that's taken place. So, and I've mentioned this multiple times. In response, he sacrifices one of his sons. He burns him up to a pagan god. He just doesn't want anything to do with God, who he is a representative of the king of kings, and he doesn't want anything to do it. And then finally, Isaiah comes and says, all right, I'm going to tell you a sign from God. And then he gives what we read, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So as we consider Mighty God, I was just thinking, again, this weight of God being mighty and what it means. And over the last several days, I think I counted there have been seven people or couples who've reached out in one form or another. And they wrote in some way um, that Christmas is hard for them. And I don't want to dismiss that. It, it can be hard. One person told me that it is very stressful and they actually don't like Christmas. Don't worry, you're not in here, so don't look around for that person. But it's hard, and it can be hard if we lose focus of what Christmas is all about. So I, I began to look up stats because that's how I start most things about Christmas and how people view Christmas. And this is specifically as far as uh, Pew Research says for Christians that only about 57% of Christians are excited for Christmas, and this was 2021. What do you mean? You're not excited for Christmas was my reaction. But I think, and I understand because I've been there before, that if you lose sight of the meaning of Christmas, if you are more worried about what kind of food, how you're going to entertain, if you really do have to hang out with that fun uncle, fun uncle, that mean aunt, all the gifts, all of the expectations, then yes, Christmas is awful. But under the weight of mighty God, this promised Savior, perhaps it pales in comparison of what we feel like we need to offer during this Christmas time. So mighty God, when you hear the word mighty, what kind of image or what comes to your mind mighty? And the very first thing, you can judge me, the very first thing that I thought of outside of God, mighty, was WWF wrestlers as a small kid. Yep, I know it's WWE now, I think, I don't know. Um, but I, that's Mighty Warrior, and I, I was going to show pictures, but I, I decided not to. That's the very first thing. The second is Mighty Mouse. I, I'm basic, I know, let's... You already know that. If you're new, welcome. 
Those are the kind of pitchers. Wrestlers, these big, huge, strong, buff men and women who fight. And then Mighty Mouse, a small little mouse that's so mighty and so strong because he won't give up. Then I really started considering um, what are some kind of display or actions uh, that come that I consider mighty. What is mighty? In the original Hebrew, this word mighty uh, means having a showing of great military authority and power, leadership, being heroic, valiant. Specifically, it means warrior champion. Now, let's, let's consider what that means in light of the, the names, the characteristics. So, mighty counselor means undescribable, hard to explain counselor, leading from a place of authority, champion, mighty God. Whoa, that changes Christmas. It's also the similar word that, that we use, that was used when describing Goliath, the Philistine's champion. So it gives the impression, the, the connotation that, that he is a champion without any defeat, anything. It's also a description that Hebrew boys and girls would call their dad. Instead of Abba, they would also use this word, Gabar. My daddy is a champion. My daddy is the best. So with that idea, it comes to sight that God, he is a God who fights your battles. It's connection with the hero, a perfect record, the mighty one. It's not quite El Shaddai. El Shaddai means almighty. It's the same thing. But in Hebrew specifically, this word El Gabor means warrior God. Now, I can, I can get behind warrior God. That's, that's exciting. But wait a minute. Warrior God, I thought, Isaiah wrote, for a child is born. Well, I do not consider children to be warriors. And that's exactly what is taking place here and what we, were, what we are seeing again and again during this Advent season. God is so in charge, he does not need to meet our expectation of what we think he should do. That's at least a game changer for me. Whenever I take a step back and think, okay, God, you don't have to do it how I think you should. Okay, God, you don't have to do it how you did it last time. And then in desperation, perhaps like me, you just say, I don't care how you do it, Lord, just do it. That's why later on that same word of El Gabar is in Jeremiah 10. Perhaps this is a a familiar verse to you. Jeremiah 10 verse 6. Lord, there is no one like you for you are great and your name is full of power, full of mighty, full of champion, full of El Gabar. You are the God warrior. And for me, this simple yet powerful example of considering the power of God, this mighty warrior perhaps came to light when I was a probably teenage years reading C.S. Lewis again. 
it's the description in the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe where there's this conversation taking place. Maybe you are familiar with it. It's whenever the children are first coming into Narnia, first coming in, and they're learning about this Aslan character, this lion character, um, the representation of Jesus. And there's this conversation that the children are having with these beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. If you're not into fantasy or fiction, I'm sorry, but listen up. So there's this conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And really, these beavers represent angels who are coming to share the good news. A beaver. And the conversation is talking, and, and, and Lucy asks, is he a man? Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is this king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, this great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion that you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan with their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. And then here's the quote we have on the screen. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. That is the kind of warrior that we have. Is he safe? Safe? He's not a kitten. He's not a stuffed teddy bear. He is the almighty God. In our waiting, last week we talked about waiting and how hard it is to wait. Waiting for news, waiting for test results, waiting for Christmas, waiting for fill in the blank. And yet, while we are waiting, not only are we waiting with this wonderful person we cannot describe, we are waiting with this mighty warrior, God. I think perhaps, at least I know I do, is I forget who is holding me up. Not a little kitten again, but this mighty warrior king. So again, this morning, my hope is that we'll take a look at Jesus as mighty God. We'll look at him as he was in the beginning, and then what he did while he was on earth, what he offers us now, and what is to come. So let's start in the beginning. Not only is Isaiah showing that Jesus, the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God, he's also showing that the plan of Christ to save the world was there at the start. Go to John John 1, 1 through 5, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you want to... At least in my Bible, not my iPad, that's funny. In my Bible, I, I've, I've written above the word, the word, Jesus. So I'm going to read it to you in that form. 
Again, John 1, 1 through 5, instead of the word, I'm going to say Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. That changes things. This is God coming down from the start, from the very beginning. This is the hang-up that many Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus uh, run into. First of all, they don't use the New Testament at all, but even in Isaiah, reading through some of their commentating commentaries about um, Isaiah 9-6, um, they're saying, no, no, this isn't Jesus. This is just someone that God is sending. Maybe it's Hezekiah, maybe it is, and then fill in the blank of people. Uh, the hang-up here is mighty God. There's no way around it. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but reading people who are, it is clear this mighty God is God from the beginning. And then he has come to earth. So as you read throughout the Gospels, at least in the Gospel, there records 37 miracles that Jesus performed. You can argue probably that there's more, but very clearly when it says miracle or signs or wonders, uh, there's 37 most of them are recorded in Mark's gospel. And then, of course, throughout the New Testament, there's words that refer to Jesus' miracle, power, sign, and wonder, primarily Paul. But every miracle of Jesus serves a specific purpose in God's plan of salvation for humankind. See, when Jesus came, this mighty warrior, when he came to redeem the world, he didn't come and perform these signs and wonders and miracles as a parlor trick or just simply to show his power. It was to first show that he is God, second to point to salvation, salvation through him. He didn't just say, hey, watch this trick and did a trick. Even, even if you consider it, he came in such a mighty way, he did things in such a grand way he, however, did things in such a grand way that we may not even consider grand or mighty. Think about it. If you were coming to save the world, you had every angel army at your fingertips, would you choose to come as a baby? I would come down on a something, a helicopter. I don't know. I, that's, it's a good thing I'm not Jesus. Something, or flying down on the angels, or... A chariot, I don't know, I'm weird, but whatever. Would you come down as a baby? I think that would be my last option. Essentially what Jesus is saying, I am so mighty that I'm going to come as the weakest and most vulnerable thing imaginable, a baby, and there isn't a single thing Satan can do about it. What a champion. Even considering that a little bit more, sports reference, I was reading baseball pitchers who throughout history said, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to throw and there's nothing you can do to hit it. Whoa, that's confidence. Essentially, again, Jesus saying, I'm going to come as the most vulnerable in the most vulnerable position, a baby. I am going to be such a champion. I am such a champion. There isn't anything you can do to stop me. Now, perhaps whenever you think of Christmas, you think of little baby Jesus, but little baby Jesus was in Mary's womb, right at the Holy Spirit's conception. 
and then a baby. Even, even if beyond that, consider what Christ's first, Jesus Christ, his first miracle was. What was his first miracle recorded? Water to wine. I mean, he didn't heal someone. Uh, he didn't hover. He didn't float. He didn't, he turned water into wine. Such a basic need, but yet that is the way that he presented himself. Again, just considering if, if perhaps you think it was sacrilegious to consider how you would come down as Jesus, continued, what would be your first miracle? Don't make up a miracle. Just look through all the miracles. Which one would have been your first? If the very first time you were going to display your ability as a miracle worker, display over the natural, supernatural, what would it be? And it's interesting what Mary tells the servants, too. We won't look at it for the sake of time. But she said, do whatever he tells you to do. And the first thing, actually, as you consider turning water into wine, the very first thing that he did is he made the impossible possible. That's a champion. He is, Isaiah's telling, he is our divine hero, our champion defender, also described in various Old Testament references. Just think of Deuteronomy 10. 17 through 22, listen to this description. I was going to save it for the end, but I get ahead of myself. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the greatest God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice he shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oath must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of our praise, your praise. The one who has done these mighty miracles, same word, these victorious grand champion miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. When your ancestors went down into Egypt, there were only 70 of them, but now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. But do you see that introduction and in, in, in what Moses is describing? Two times he calls God mighty, verse 17, the mighty and awesome God, the hero and awesome God. Awesome is another descriptor of what we looked at, uh, miraculous God. And then again, he calls them mighty miracles. He's the champion over miracles. And the word miracles is essentially can be translated to the divine entering nature or the restoration of nature. Because if you consider it, I'll go off on a tangent because why not? If you, can, if you look at all of the physical miracles that Jesus performed on or to people, it's taking what was natural that became corrupt and put it back natural. Look at the blind man. God's design was to give people sight. The distortion, the sin caused blindness. He restored the natural. This is the hero that we're talking about. See, the Jews were looking for a heroic figure like King David who would come and deliver them from this Roman oppression and this through a valiant military conquests and political might. But the kingdom 
principles of Jesus that are introduced to us is that he is first a servant leader. You can see that in Matthew 12, Matthew 20, John 6, John 18. And the kingdom, he says, Jesus says repeatedly, is not of this world. Scripture says that when Jesus came to earth, he voluntarily gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's Philippians 2. So this word El-Gabar, Jesus, this mighty God, the question I have for you during this Advent season are, are you weary? Are you losing heart? Perhaps you're waiting just to go on vacation, Christmas break. Maybe it's the first Christmas where it is new for you because of marriage, because of the loss of a loved one, because you have a child, because fill in the blank. But are you growing weary in, in, in this Advent Christmas season? Are you facing something seemingly insurmountable, some mountain, some difficulty, or perhaps a valley? Is there some impossible situation in a relationship with your spouse? family member, a friend, a coworker, your job, whatever. Whenever God allows us to experience these circumstances we think that are too difficult, our hope is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, but he's the champion of our faith as well. Choosing to consider who Christ is as he endured this world he came into this world full of sinners and sinners who are and will be against him so that way we may not grow weary and lose heart. If I may borrow from our Hebrews 11 series, when we're talking about turning to Hebrews 12 at the end of our lesson there, considering what our faith looks like, if I can borrow from that word fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus literally means to turn our eyes eyes away from something else and to someone. That means not, not looking at that, but yes, looking at this. This fight of turning our, our gaze away from our difficulties and instead steadfastly fixing them on something else, in this case, someone else. And one of the best ways to fix our eyes on Jesus is by meditating on this truth and promises of the Messiah that's laid out in Scripture for us. So in this Advent, in this waiting, in this season, and hurry up Christmas, get here, we are resting in our champion God. And as I had mentioned earlier, Monday and Tuesday was weighty. I was thinking, mighty God, you, like you're a hero. I mean, for crying out loud, I just compared you to WWF wrestlers. Sorry, Jesus. But considering that, just, that, just seeing how small and insignificant and worrying about how can I even talk about this hero, this champion. And then God, in his graciousness, spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but just reading through Psalms, because that's my default. If I'm lost, I run the Psalms. And God said, your inability to describe me does not limit me, Jackson. See, God calls me Jackson for some reason. <laughs> but it's true, your inability to describe me does not limit me. 
your inability to understand what I am doing fully does not limit my ability to work in your life or in the other people's lives. God is mighty. God is able. So perhaps this morning you're considering, yes, I know that's true, but I'm just tired. So what is holding you back from coming to the comfort of our mighty hero? What kind of mighty things do you need God to do for you in this season? Who does God need to be to you? He is, in Hebrews 10, the spirit of grace. We need to turn our eyes away again from the difficulty and focus on the mighty name of God. Great is he. He is mighty to save. I'll just quickly read some of the Psalms. I don't have them up. I wasn't planning on, on necessarily reading them, but I saved them just in case. Some of the Psalms I turned to, I'll just quickly read them to uh, adjust my thinking. Psalm 45.3, clothe, Jesus is clo- God is clothed in splendor and majesty. Psalm 50 verse 1, mighty God of authority. Psalm 45, mighty God is established in victory. God doesn't need me to be victorious. And for you who are a believer, while you're sitting here in your seat and perhaps you are, again, going through your day, days ahead, uh, thinking about what you have to do tomorrow back at work, um, considering how Thanksgiving went and looking to Christmas ahead, and you're thinking, if only I knew this about God. If there was... In other words, if I feel like if I knew more about God or if I knew something more about God, then I would surrender this to him. I just need to know a little bit more about God. Somebody recently told me, I think it's neat that you go through the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, makes me understand God more. I said, that's great. It's just a describing tool. It isn't meant to be anything more than just help us understand him. But this, this concern, if, if, if I just knew more about God, I like what Oswald Chambers says about that. In his devotion, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, I think it was seven days ago, last Saturday night, he said, you do not need to know more about God. You simply need to listen and follow what you already know. Knowing in your head that he is mighty, but allowing the reality to rest on your entire being is key. I'd be quiet too. You can come up here. But knowing in your head he is mighty, but allowing it to penetrate your heart and allowing it to penetrate the rest of your being. It's not knowing more. It's following through. There was a story of a missionary on a boat. There was a couple of missionaries. And I am sorry if you want to know where this came from. I saved it, but I don't remember who said it. It's not me. Anyways. So there's a story of these missionaries. And it was in the 1940s. And these missionaries were on a boat, in this large boat, in the middle of the Indian Sea. And there was this huge storm coming. And their whole hope was to transform uh, transport Bibles into India 
and well, sneak them in, really. And the storm was so bad, and, and it got so bad, the captain told everybody to go to the bottom of the boat and just wait. And the storm, and they were rocking back and forth, and the whole description of this missionary just telling that it was just awful, and people were getting sick. And they were saying, do you think we're going to die? Maybe we should ask. I don't know what to do. Finally, one of the missionaries said, I'm going to go topside and talk with the captain of the ship. So he climbs up. And as the wind is blowing and the rain is coming, and he describes how he didn't know if it was the rain or the sea, but it didn't matter. The swells were so huge, you couldn't see anything. It was so dark. And he comes up to the captain, and even before this missionary, this man can get a single word up, the captain spins around and gives the missionary the biggest smile and a slight nod. Then the missionary climbs back down to the bottom and the people ask, well, what did the captain say? Everything is fine. He is in complete control. See, the missionary later reflects. He said, all I saw was a storm, much like the disciples. I went from knowing he was a great captain to believing he is a great captain and I never went back up to check in on him again. I believed. I didn't just know in my head he was going to get us to home safely. I didn't even just feel it in my heart. I simply believed in him. And that's it. I believe is the key to this mighty God, this warrior God. So what are you, what are we believing in during this Advent season? Are we believing in a mighty God, a hero God, a God of champions, a God without a single defeat? Or are we simply looking at the waves and the storm and we're just thinking maybe not this time? Fast forward into Luke, uh, considering Mary. Mary has just told the news by an angel. And this is a familiar during Christmas time, and perhaps a familiar stories. I'm always worried of familiar stories because we tend to know them, so we don't listen. We tend to read through them and think, oh, I already know this story. Perhaps one of the things, well, one of the things that I do that perhaps maybe you may consider is when you are reading a familiar verse, read it in a different translation. Ask God to reveal something new to you. And second, uh, attempt to read it as if it's your very first time. So with that said, just considering that Mary is just told that she is going to be with child. She's 14 years old, roughly, 13, 14 years old. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. She just finds out. And then she has this psalm, song that she's recorded, that's recorded for us by Luke. And I'll read it, Luke 1, verse 46. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took Notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. For the champion God is holy. Same word, but in Greek. 
and he has done great things for me. So we'll stop right there. I just want to point this out. She is looking back at her life that God has done great things for her. She's not talking about being pregnant with Jesus yet. She's saying, I am able to believe because I have seen him work before, this champion God. Verse 50, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Same word that was read in Deuteronomy. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. These are the last words that we hear directly from Mary. Recognizing mighty God, giving all glory to God, remembering what he has done, what he's going to do, and what he will do because of the promises that God has bestowed on all of the ancestors before. This mighty God has manifest, manifestation of Isaiah's prophecy will only be fully seen yet in the second coming of Christ. Nevertheless, in every aspect of Christ's life and ministry, from his ascension to Jesus operating with divine power and authority. Even the apostle Paul says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene. Christ's supernatural acts confirmed again and again that Jesus is mighty. But yet again, the question might be sitting in your head. He doesn't always seem to do the things in a mighty way. But consider again how Jesus shows his strength is not the way that we do. He is strength, his strength is clothed in weakness. Not in chainmill army. Not in positions of power. Jesus says, I'm going to come as the weakest possible position possible, and there isn't anything that or anyone who can stop me. I'm going to be a baby. I'm going to be born in a manger. But perhaps you're thinking, well, what about Psalm 93? Psalm 93, verse 4 says, Mightier than the thunder and greater than the waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. See, he is over the sea and over the plants and over the stars. He does small things to do wonderful things to show that he is mighty. He does small things to do wonderful things to show that he is mighty. Again, he goes from baby in a manger to a man bleeding on the cross. He becomes like us so we can be like him. I am weak, but though you are mighty, you hold me with your powerful hand, Mary says. Our minds try to figure out and our heart tries to feel, and yet all we need to do is change our gaze from our situation to Christ. Holy is his name. He comes and he rescues. He comes as our cornerstone, our bedrock. He is our rock, the rock to build our lives on. But yet for the proud, this rock crushes. But for the humble, we can hide in it. 
For the proud, it seems unbearable to hold up, yet he holds it up. Yet for the humble, we can confidently stand on top of the rock and say yes. Mighty have been brought low, but yet the humble is strong. I asked somebody to explain to me why they thought God was mighty, and he told a story, this fabulous story of there was no answer, so he got out of his truck, dropped to his knees. I won't tell you who it is, but he said after he threw up, he got on his knees and he prayed, and he said, I prayed because God is mighty, and God delivered so what kind of things, again, come to your mind when you think of mighty? Again, your inability to describe him, to even think of him, does not limit his ability to work in your life. Again, the, this first advent that we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks, this first Christmas, brought relief from our sins. And the second advent... The second coming will bring relief from our suffering. That's why in Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One, the champion God. Again, Isaiah is not only talking about the birth, but the return, and yet how... Who is this mighty hero to you this morning? As you consider that and consider the strength of Christ, considering as you view him as your mighty warrior, do you view him as someone who can change your life? Ahaz missed the point in Isaiah 9. I pray that we don't. And then going back to C.S. Lewis, then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for being our champion, our mighty hero. Lord, will you help us not just try to understand it in our head or fill it in our hearts, but will you allow that through your spirit just to penetrate our whole being, Lord? As we are in waiting, as we spend so much time in our, of our life waiting, will you help us wait well? Will you help us wait knowing that we are on the side of you, mighty God, champion God, warrior God? Lord, let us not be proud to be crushed by you being our cornerstone, our rock, Lord, but let us build our lives upon you. Let us be humble enough to hide in you. Let us be strong and mighty because you are strong and mighty. Let us hold everything that we have with, with open hands, Lord. Let us consider again what, Lord, what uh, Mary said about you are the mighty one, you are holy, 
And we will think of all the great things you have done for us from generation to generation, Lord. So, as we sing some more songs to you, Lord, will you just encourage us by your spirit, by your word, by your truth, that you are wonderful counselor and our hero warrior, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.